Yes. Thank you, Gary. Yeah, if you, guys, if you guys quit telling me that, one of these days I might just get up and uh, like read the newspaper or something, you know, so you want to make sure. We want to preach the word. Hey, good morning. I'm so glad you're here. I know some of you are visiting from out of town. You're our honored guest. We're so glad you're here. And some of you are visiting from in town. We're especially hope to meet you. And right after church today, we have a potluck. And all of you are invited to stay around and eat with us. It's one of, uh, one of the things we do really well here is eat together. And so we hope you'll stay around and get to, let us get to know you. And also, just one quick thing. Uh, we, have, we have six or seven teams of teachers that help. You saw all these little kids. Isn't that a blessing? I, I was just thinking about this. Sorry, this is not in my notes, but I was thinking several years ago, I don't remember, it's probably, it's been, a, it's been a decade ago or something like that, that there was a day when there was only like two or three kids up here on stage one Sunday, and it was kind of depressing. And I remember that day I just was praying. I was like, God, don't, don't let our church become a church of no kids. Wouldn't that be horrible? Ugh. I would hate to go to a church like that. So we, you know, I just, you see all these kids but we, we have Bible classes during the time when I'm, when I'm preaching here, and they just left to go there, and there were three sets of teachers that went to help them, and we've got, uh, we've got about six different teams that teach, and we need a couple more teachers. If you're not teaching, and you would be willing to help, uh, it, it would mean a commitment of, during a whole 12 months that you would have to teach eight times, Okay? Eight times in 52 weeks. So if, if God, if, if I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, tr- yeah, I'm trying to make you feel guilty. That's what I was trying to do, yeah. Uh, no, really, if God's spirit is, uh, you know, tugs at your heart a little bit, and you're like, wow, they need help. And I could, we have curriculum, and you're like, I could, I could do that. I could help out with some kids a few weeks. We need your help. We, uh, we need a couple of teachers. So please talk with... Uh, Actually, you could talk with Megan Bundy because her team is specifically the, the one that needs... Megan, raise your hand. That's Megan Bundy right there. We love her. She's awesome. So please talk to Megan if you'd be willing to help. Mr. Harlan and I did not talk to one another before this sermon, so it's kind of funny uh, just the way God works things out, how, what he talked about. Um, so I'm going to talk to you about doctors today a little bit. There's a story I read about a nurse when she was a student nurse. And, uh, you know, the regulations, you guys know this at the hospital, when you check out, you know, you, ha- you have to get in a wheelchair. And they have to take you out to the front when you're dismissed. And so, you know, she went into a room, and there was an elderly gentleman there. He was already dressed. He's sitting on the bed. He's got a suitcase at his feet. And he just insisted to her, I do not need your help. I can get out of this hospital on my own. But she would not relent. Student nurse, she's going to stick with the rules. So she set him in the, in the wheelchair and, uh, after telling him a few things about the rules. And they went on down. They went down the elevator. And they're heading toward the front door. And, and she just asked. She said, when we get here to the front door, is your wife going to be meeting you here? And he said, I, I don't know. She's still upstairs in the bathroom changing out of her hospital gown. sometimes we can get so focused on one thing we kind of miss the big picture don't we doesn't that happen sometimes we just get so focused on this right here and oh i got mm, right there and we just kind of need to step back sometimes and see the whole thing 
These are kind of ridiculous examples. But it would be like, and we're going to compare these spiritually today a little bit, but it would be like if we went, had a car wreck, and we head to the hospital, and our toe is hurting, you know, the toenail maybe got broken or ripped off or something, and oh, it hurts so bad, and we go in and we're complaining, my toe, my toe, and the doctor says, you know, I know, I know, we'll check on your toe, but you're turning blue, you're not breathing, you don't have any oxygen going into your body, we're going to check your vital signs, Right? That's what's important. Your toe is important, but it's not as important as breathing and not turning blue. So we're going to start there, and we'll move to your toe later. Maybe we go into a checkup, another ridiculous example, go into a checkup and tell the doc, you know, man, I've been working out, been going to the gym, man. I want you to measure these biceps, you know, check these out. They've grown an inch, you know, check these out. He's like, well, I'm checking out the charts here. And you've got blocked arteries. We're going to have to do open-heart surgery. I really don't care too much about that. I care about your vital. Yeah, I care about your... Yeah, I care about your vital signs. There you go. And that's what we have to do in our relationship with God. In the church, we have to determine what is vital, what is most important. And thankfully, the Bible has already done that for us. The Bible did that made it crystal clear. And here at Gateway, our leaders have adopted a model that emphasizes that biblical truth of making the most important thing the most important thing. And that's what we're going to be studying about today. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be doing a series of lessons called what? Yeah, thank you guys. Vital signs. What are some marks of a healthy church. And so I hope you have your Bibles handy today. They'll be here on the screen, but I encourage you to also open your Bibles or make some notes and study some of this on your own as well. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Let's pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Help us, God. Help our hearts to be open today. Help our minds to be sharp. And we pray that as we read, in spite of me, that your Holy Spirit would do good work of teaching, that we would grow today. We would grow to be more, more like Jesus Christ. So may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our text today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Bob already read this, but it's so important, it's worth reading more than once. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll read the first six verses. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. Paul's saying, I want you to hold on to what? The gospel. I want you to hold on to it. He's saying, I'm going to remind you of this gospel. So then in verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. So here it is. Here's the gospel. And he says, it's the most important thing. So I'm about to remind you of it, he says. I've told you before, it's the most important thing. Now I'm going to tell you the gospel again. Here it comes. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. 
And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. That is the gospel. The word gospel, most of you know this. The word gospel means what? That's right. Gospel means good news. It really is just a Greek word. It wasn't even a spiritual word at the time when the, the New Testament was written. It was just a word, good news. Like if I was going to call, you know, call my friend Russ, and I was going to say, Russ, you're not going to believe this. I got tickets to the World Series. You know, and he answers the phone, and he's like, hello? Russ, I got some gospel. He's like, really, what is it? I got tickets to the World Series. He's like, yes, that's gospel. Okay, that's good news. That's what it is. That's the good news of the Bible. Paul says. It's the most important thing. Why? Why is it the most important thing? Well, because in verse 2 he says, by this good news, by this gospel, you are saved. That's why it is so important. It's so important to Paul that he's willing to suffer for the gospel. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done. But because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know who I believe, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. So here's the deal. Even if other people don't like it, even if other people don't agree with me, I'm telling you, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am not. I am proud of the gospel. It is the heart of my life is the gospel, the good news. And I'm not ashamed of it. And I will suffer if I have to for the sake of the good news, for what Paul calls the gospel. Because he saved me. That's what Paul said, and I'm standing. I want to stand shoulder to shoulder with Paul right here. Paul says he saved me. Not that he saved me 90% of the way, and I did 10% of the saving, or I did the 10% I could do, and he added the 90%, and that was the gospel. He doesn't say that. Verse, verse 9, he says, It's not because of anything I have done. Not because of anything I have done, but because of his purpose and grace. So Paul says, I will stand, and I will stand, me. I will stand beside and with the one who saved me, no matter what anyone else thinks. By this gospel, Paul says he destroyed death. He brought life and immortality into light. And so I'll suffer if I have to. I'll stand. I'll stand by the one who saved me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I believe this gospel. I believe it so much that I have entrusted my eternal destination 
to this gospel, to God. I have handed it to him, and I believe he is able to guard it. And if you're listening close, you should be getting the idea that this gospel that we're reading about is God's work, not our work. It's God's work. So what I'm going to do today, at least here at the beginning, is I'm going to describe to you for just a moment the focus or the emphasis of the church that I grew up in. Okay? Now, this, isn't, this may not be the church you grew up in, but I'm going to describe to you the focus and the emphasis of the church I grew up in. And for the sake of clarity, listen to me close. I want you to understand, I don't agree with all the things I'm about to say. I'm about to say some things that I don't agree with all these things. But I also want you to hear this crystal clear. I love those people in that church that I grew up in. I love them. They helped they helped form my faith. They introduced me to the gospel. They're the ones who began to teach me to look at the word and do what the word says. It's where my faith began to be formed. And so even though I'm pointing out a few things I disagree with, I'm not trying to condemn those people. I'm not trying to judge those people about anything about their relationship with God. That's between them and God, okay? See, the good news is that Jesus did this work that we just read about at the cross and so God's grace is big enough to cover any sinful action. Now, I do agree with this. I haven't got to the part I don't agree with yet, okay? God's grace is big enough to cover any sinful action, any sinful thought, any sinful motive. It's, evil and it's even able to cover our misunderstandings of Scripture. We're saved by grace, not by being able to perfectly understand Scripture. So it's grace for me, and it's grace for those people that I'm about to tell you about some things I disagree with. The church I grew up in, they did emphasize, okay, they did emphasize the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That was part of what they emphasized. But, and this was not spoken, but it was, it was very subtle and it was understood. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was not as important as what we did. They emphasized the work of Jesus, but what they emphasized much more was our beliefs being perfectly correct. Fearful, fearful if they were not correct. If there was one that was not correct, fearful. If we had correct doctrine, though, if we knew all the right answers, the unspoken truth was that was the good news in the church I grew up in. If you had all the right answers, that was the good news that would save you when I was a teenager, it was sometimes described to me as I was being taught these things as a blueprint. That we, just like a contractor gets a blueprint, we've been given a blueprint. It is these New Testament letters from Acts through Jude. We've been given some letters, and these are a blueprint, and we're supposed to be like contractors. And we take these different letters, different parts, and our job is to lay out each teaching, and one teaching might be a wall, the wall of the church. And I don't mean like a physical wall, like the, the wood and the plaster and stuff and the paint. But, but spiritually, we would lay out a teaching, and that would be like a wall. We, we learned that wall over there. And then maybe we would learn, uh, we, each doctrine maybe was like a roof joist, okay? Each practice that we did and participated in during our worship service was the number of rooms in the house. And we had this blueprint, and it all had to be exactly like those letters from Acts through Jude. And when we got 
done, we had a perfect picture of the correct doctrines. And that was the good news. Now, I want to tell you that I don't agree with that. Okay? So I'll just tell you up front. And there, this could cause a lot more conversations. I'm glad to have a conversation with anybody. I'll be glad to talk to you. But I believe this blueprint model, I believe it was motivated by a desire to follow the Bible and do what God wants us to do. It was, very, it was motivated by very good, good desires. But the problem is that the emphasis, that's what I'm trying to say today, the emphasis and the trust was in the wrong place in the church I grew up in. The emphasis and the trust was in us. We trust us. The good news is that the trust and the emphasis is on the work of Christ. He saved us, and we can trust that. That is the good news. Lots of people text these days, right? Amy and I text back and forth, uh, especially when we just got, you know, get, a, get some milk or, you know, uh, do the dishes or whatever, you know. So, okay. I mean, that's from her to me. All right, not me to her. All right. So, um, I, I, I heard this story, and I, I could imagine this definitely being a true story. I, I could definitely imagine this. A husband sends a text message to his wife, and this is what the text message said. Honey. This is, you sent me this, by the way. It's a good one. Honey. I mean, she, she didn't send me this text message. She sent me this joke. Okay, so hold on. I need, <laughs> wow, I almost started a rumor there. <laughs> Sorry, Kathy. Okay, so this is, a great, this is a great joke. Okay, she sends this text message, and she says, or he does, and he says, Honey, I got hit by a car outside of the office. Now, Paula brought me to the hospital. They've been doing all kinds of tests and taking x-rays. The blow to my head Though that was very strong, it's not going to have any serious or lasting injury. But I have three broken ribs. I have a compact, compound fracture in my left leg. And, and they may have to amputate my right foot. They haven't decided yet. And so then the wife texts back, and this is what she says. Who's Paula? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, all that other stuff may be important, but this is the one thing I want to know. Who's Paula, right? Okay. We'll get to that other stuff later. Now, I, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I'm saying as I was growing up, here's the deal. If, if we knew somebody in our church family, and, and that person had believed the good news, and their whole life had changed, we could see them as a new creation. They were not even close to the same person they used to be. They just had the light of Christ shining out, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All that stuff was just flowing out of their life. They were spiritually alive. Some people were a little bit like this wife in this joke. They're like, who cares about all that stuff? Did they do the response exactly right? Did they do the response exactly right? Because if they did, oh, thank goodness we can relax because that response is the good news. That's the church that I grew up in. And Paul, I believe, would say no. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day. That is 
the gospel. It is of first importance. It is the most important thing. And it should be emphasized above everything else. Some people, I know, I know there are some of you who are saying, well, the gospel can't only be what God did. It can't. It has to also be how we respond. I mean, you know, Peter preached in Acts 2, and, he, and, and people responded, and, he, and, and they were added to the church. And so, so that, has to be, that has to be the gospel, okay? And if, if that is how you're thinking right now, then I want, you to, I want to encourage you to deal with the Scripture, all right? This is Jesus in the book of Luke, chapter 9. So G, this is Jesus and his apostles. So they set out, and they went from village to village, preaching the gospel, and healing people everywhere. There's no response yet from Acts chapter 2 from Peter, and, and I guess you could also say there's no death, burial, and resurrection yet, but there is Jesus coming to do that. There is the saving action of God. They are telling him the, the good news is here. The gospel has arrived. The kingdom is here. God's work should be the center. God's work should be the emphasis because it, his work, is the good news. Now, about nine years ago here at Gateway, nine years ago, the leadership here at Gateway adopted a model that helps, especially new people who come to our church, understand what we are going to emphasize at Gateway. All right? And so here's the model that we share when people are placing membership at our church. And as opposed to the blueprint model, it's just, we just, I mean, we just named it the core emphasis model. You could name it the gospel-centered model. You don't even have to put a name on it if you don't want. We're just trying to, what we're trying to say is this. We're trying to say there is a center, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is the work of God. It is the work of Christ. And, and that is that we have salvation by grace through faith. Just like Paul said, not because of anything we've done, we're saved by the gospel. And, and then as you begin to spiral out away from the center, you begin to see other things that are very close to that and some things that are further away. You see that baptism and communion are very, very close to the center because, and well, I'm not going to tell you why, because in a couple weeks I'm going to really talk about baptism and communion. But they're very closely associated with the gospel. And there are other things that the Bible teaches about. We just got a couple of them up there, worship styles or leadership roles, and you could put about a 50 more, but they're further away from the middle. What we're going to emphasize is the gospel. We're going to emphasize the good news. And, and this model is not perfect, but we just simply believe that it better represents what the Bible teaches than the blueprint model does. That's our belief at Gateway. Because it keeps the most important thing at the center of who we are, and it moves other teachings to a place of less importance. I want you to hear that clearly. Other teachings to a place of less importance. Did I say they're not important? Those things don't matter? No, I didn't say that. I'm just saying they're not as important as the gospel. That is what Paul said is the most important thing. So the first mark of a healthy church is if that church is gospel-centered gospel-centered, that the good news is the center of that church, the central message and where everything flows out of. That is the first mark of a healthy church. 
why would we want to be this? Why would we want to be a gospel-centered church? Well, let me give you several scriptures real quick. First of all, in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul says, I am, I'm not ashamed of holding up God's work, the good news of what he did, because that is where the power is. How will people come to, to God? How will people be saved? How will people respond? I'll tell you how they'll respond. You tell that story. You live that story out, and they see that story, and they will respond. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Colossians chapter 1 Paul says, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He says, you've got to continue in your faith of holding on to the gospel. Don't be moved. Don't let anybody move you with some good-sounding arguments to move away from the center. You hold on to that. You hold on to your faith. That's where our faith is, right in the center, in the good news of what Jesus has done. 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, Paul says, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing was among you or with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, I just came and I just want to tell you the gospel. That's it. Over and over and over. I just want to tell you the gospel. That's a sinner, and everything flows out of that. That's right. I just want to tell you that over and over and over and over. That's why we want to be a gospel-centered church. 1 Peter chapter 1. It was revealed to them. This is talking about the people in the Old Testament, the patriarchs. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Why do we want to be a gospel-centered church? Because all of history, all of God's salvation history has been moving to one thing, the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he did for us. All those people were leading to that. Angels sit on the edge of their seat looking. That's it right there. That's the thing. We want to be centered on the exact same thing. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, Paul says to this church in Colossae, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit. And growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. Paul's talking to a church in Colossae, and that's a place where there's all kinds of teachings. There's all kinds of things that come in. And he says, this is the deal. We thank God for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ. We've heard that you've done like I did. You entrusted your eternal salvation to God. That's what you did. You trust him. You put your faith in Christ. And so we thank God for that. 
He doesn't thank them that they know all the right doctrine. He's writing a letter, a letter to tell them they don't know all the right doctrine. They're a mess. They got problems. And he's going to correct them, but he thanks God for their faith in Jesus, in the gospel. In this church in Colossians, in Colossae, there was philosophies and legalism and Eastern mysticism and asceticism. And then they were saying, yeah, we got some of that and some of that and some of that, and we got Jesus, and we'll pour a little Jesus in with it. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't take a bunch of other things and then pour Jesus in with that. He's not part of a religious stew. He is the one head. He is the one center. He is the one way. His story of the gospel is the one thing that can save you. Paul and Jesus both say this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4. Only the name of Jesus. No other way. He's not just part of a bunch of religious stew. Only one way. Jesus in his own words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the only way, he says, to get to the Father. Now, our culture doesn't want to accept this. And this is the other reason we want to keep the gospel in the center at Gateway. We want to keep this story and Jesus right in the middle because we have a culture that's pressing in and they're saying, oh, yeah, Jesus, he's pretty good, you know. Yeah, we like Jesus, he's all right. You know, and, and but, but there's, this, there's this popular idea that says all spiritual thoughts are equal. If you don't believe that, go to a college class sometime and listen to people talk in those college classes. Some, some one person may say, well, Jesus, I believe Jesus is God. And another person says, well, I don't believe he's God, but I believe he's a great teacher. And the culture goes, hey, let's pat you both on the back. Good job. We're proud of you. Man, you guys are doing good. You guys are, you guys are really thinking a lot about your spiritual welfare. Man, good job. Or, or someone may say, well, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Another person says, well, I think there's lots of ways. And our culture kind of sort of pats both on the back and says, way to go, glad you guys are working on your spirituality. And the funny thing is that, that both opposing truths are held up equal. Like they both are the same. And that's not applied to any other branch of knowledge in the world. We don't do that with any other branch of knowledge. Take science. And you're in science class and you're studying E equals MC squared. Okay, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. And so you're trying to learn that, and you know, the teacher asks, and one kid says, that's what EMC, e, e equals MC squared. You know, that's what, it, that's what it means. And the teacher says, yes, good. And then Sally raises her hand in the back. She said, you know, I've been really thinking about science lately a lot, and I was thinking maybe that actually energy equals matter uh, times the speed of my hairdryer. And the teacher wouldn't go, well, man, Sally, I'm just so proud of you. Man, this is great. Don't you guys love the creative thinking going on in this class? Wow. You know, good job, little Johnny up here who answered one way. Good job, Sally. You guys just keep going and keep, keep thinking. You know, that's good. We're proud. No. She'd say, that's wrong, Sally. That's stupid. Okay? Your hairdryer didn't have anything to do with it. Well, it might, but I don't understand if it does. But anyways... You know, you say history, somebody says, well, we're studying about the Holocaust, and somebody says, well, I, I've been thinking a lot lately, and I think maybe the Holocaust didn't actually happen. It's just too horrible, and maybe it didn't happen. No. We, we got eyewitnesses, there's pictures, there's written documents. The Holocaust happened. We don't just give equal truth to opposing things. 
one is right and one is wrong. Math. We'll make Sally the smart one this time. Two plus two equals four. You know, little Johnny says, I was thinking the other day about math. I was laying in bed, and I was thinking two plus two equals a banana. And, oh, way to go, little Johnny. You know, we're so proud of you. Way to go. Just keep thinking. Keep being creative. No. And it just cracks me up that we would never apply that kind of reasoning to any other branch of knowledge, but, but the world, our culture, especially right now, applies it to theology and our spirituality. Christian truth, the gospel that Jesus died, buried, raised from the dead, that it can save you, that it's the gift, it's the offer of eternal life, that you don't have to experience the second death, that it's the only way. This is not caveman thinking. It is rational truth that's solid to stand on. It's based on historical facts and rational truths about the good news. And it shouldn't be just added to a religious stew. It shouldn't be watered down it should, it should not be a place to start and then add other religious truths. It's the place to stand on the gospel. It's the center. It's the center of who we are. It's the center of a mark of a healthy church. So back to the analogy about going to the doctor. At Gateway, we want Jesus to be the heartbeat. The center, the blood flow We want the gospel, that story, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We want that to be the oxygen at Gateway. We want it to be the core message, the core emphasis. We want to breathe it in over and over and over because that's where life is. Amen. And over the next few weeks, we're going to study about how we can be a gospel-centered church. In our teaching, in our reading of the Bible... In our relationships with each other, gospel-centered in the lives that we live, gospel-centered in our worship that we do, gospel-centered in our meetings that we meet here, gospel-centered in everything we do. So why talk about vital signs? Why talk about this? I mean, what are are we trying to do? We're just trying to give ourselves a little pat on the back, say, way to go, Gateway, you're doing good, you know? Yeah, good for us. We got a little checkup here. No, I think it's like what's being talked about this morning. It's a chance for us to examine ourselves and examine are we doing exactly what mike spence said this morning what he prayed about are we sticking with god's word are we doing that and it's a chance for us to come back and look at that and make sure that we are because we got room to grow we're not perfect (laughs) thank you we're not perfect and we got room to grow so it's good for us to have a checkup But it's also good for some of you that are visiting from other churches. Some of you here today, and you're visiting from another church, and you're going to go back probably to Texas, and you're going to go back to your church, and it's a good chance for you to think about your church home. Is it gospel-centered? Is that what's at the middle of your church? And if it's not, I, I would encourage you to go back and don't beat anybody up. Don't go tell anybody they're wrong. Don't Just go back and live a gospel-centered life. And when you hear teaching that gets away, way far away, and overemphasizes above the gospel, bring it back to the gospel and emphasize the gospel. So it's good for us, and it's good for visitors. But this series is also good for almost everyone here because almost everyone is going to move. Isn't that right? Almost everybody. A few people won't, but almost everybody at some time in your life, you're going to move away 
from Rudoso. You're going to move away from Gateway. Almost everything in this world is temporary. And so for whatever changes in your life, you're going to be in a new place, new job, going off to college perhaps, and you're going to be looking for a church home. Some people, when they're looking for a church home, open up the phone book, and, and they drive to the church that has the sign on front that they're used to going to, and then they walk in and they sit down for a couple times and see if they're comfortable. And if the sign out front is the one they've been going to and they feel comfortable, that's good enough. But I'm here to tell you today, the sign out front and your comfort is not of first importance. The gospel is of first importance. And if you walk into a church to go find a new church home, it's the first thing you should be looking for. Are these people emphasizing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord, my only hope, the one I'm swinging out into eternity, the only chance I have of going to heaven? Are they emphasizing that? And if they're not, I don't want to be a part of this church. I don't care what the sign is, and I don't care how comfortable I am. The gospel has to be the center. It's the most important. So today, if you've heard the gospel, and if you have never, if you have never said to Jesus, I am a sinner, I need you to save me, I needed you to die on the cross for my sins. You're my only hope. If you've never done that, I want, I want you to deal with that today. You come, you find me after church, you find one of our elders. And if you're ready to be baptized into Christ today, We'll baptize you into Jesus. That's, that's why we have a baptistry here. And we would rejoice. We would rejoice at forgiveness of sins. We would rejoice at the gift of the Spirit. You need to come. You come while we stand and sing.